So I think that the main thing uh, to to deal with is is really this idea that we've got um, yeah is is that we've uranium uh, yeah uranium prices has spiked. Uh, I've, I've done this for and against, and a lot of the four cases I've taken from Thomas I think it's Pueo, um, uh in Uncharted Territory. So he's he's written quite a long piece on on going into a lot more detail than this, but uh, so I thought I'd run through. Um, his sort of case for, for nuclear power and this sort of address the, the pros and cons and, and where, where there's merits and where, the, where there's not. Uh, and then, um, yeah, and then, then we'll dig into some of the, uh, some of the, some of the more cost structures. So this is a, a common one you see from a lot around, um, uh, death rates per, per unit of electricity production, uh, across a whole bunch of different ranges. And there's, there's stacks from coal, um, and so there's this idea that actually nuclear power is actually one of the safest ones out there. And even, even the, um, you know, some of the big ticket, uh, concerns you've had around, uh, things like Fukushima, you know, there wasn't actually anyone who, who died within that or there's, there's one potential cancer death that they actually not, they're not even sure depending upon what source, whether you count that as a one or a not, there was obviously a tsunami that killed a lot of people. Um, but you know, the actual, the actual event didn't. And and you can run through a whole bunch of other changes as well, and even um, yeah, there's, there's some arguments around uh, some some of the older reactors that, that had problems in terms of Three Mile Island and and in terms of um, uh, Chernobyl in terms of looking at, at at those as well. But but you know there there is a, there is a safe there that death rates per unit of electricity production is is pretty low. Um, if you look at the actual background radiation, so uh, coming out of different levels coming out of different sources, what you find is that uh, if you live uh, close to a uh, nuclear power plant, uh, there's actually very little little that comes out. So, and again, I, I guess I want to preface this by sort of saying as well that, yeah, they, these are the, the the stats. This is looking at it purely from a scientific perspective. But if you look at, um, you know, eating a banana is, is theoretically lower in, in you, you're going to... Um, uh, up some more radiation than, than than living close to a nuclear power plant, uh, and and you know quite possibly living closer to a coal plant is actually gives you more, uh, and then you sort of go through the different um, you know CT scans and things like that, and and Ramsar, which is a location in in um, uh, Iran, has got these massive levels of of radiation that you, you naturally get there, and and the health stats aren't particularly bad in terms of the uh, the people who who live there, but this is yeah this is literally a, a a, an area of Iran where you know, radiation is is particularly high, and and it doesn't seem to be that harmful. Um, we obviously know that getting huge amounts. Oh, sorry, that's so that was on a that's just on a normal on a normal scale. If we jump to one that's on a on a log scale, um, uh, you can see that sort of it, it is a bit different. You know, the, the Chernobyl first responders, for example, were getting sort of rates of six thousand versus that sort of two hundred and sixty in, in Ramsar. Uh, but you know, the the um, they're, they're, the net result is out of this is that you know if you get a lot of radi radiation in a very short period of time it seems to be quite harmful. Uh, little bits of radiation over a long period of time don't seem to be harmful, and and some will even argue that 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 there's some better uh, that, that there's um, that might be beneficial. Um, so but but yeah, so so safety wise, you know there's there isn't really a lot to 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 go against it. Um, I think there's this is one of the charts. Uh, Thomas did use with his with his report. And I'm gonna I'm gonna report back to this a few times though, because uh, he's sort of using this as an example about why um, yeah he's using it at deaths from motorcycles 
um, as a comparison to uh, to planes. And so the deaths from motorcycles per billion passenger miles is 212, and from a plane is 0.07. And so, but but people don't worry uh, about planes, and even certain cars are, are seven, and and planes are 0.07. So yeah, cars are are, are basically a um, hundred times uh, higher than than planes. And, I, and I'm sure I see a statistic somewhere that. You know, the average person is, is more likely to die in an accident on the way to the airport than than um, than actually in the in the plane, um, in a in a trip. So, um, but but the things we could people worry about is plane crashes, and and there's a, there's much more fear about flying than what there is fear about driving. And so, um, uh, and and so that is an important point, and and I think that does relate back to nuclear as well. Um, uh, so, so the case, you know, for it says that, you know, it's just, it's similar to that where the, you know, statistics are actually saying this is really safe and that, that, that is quite possible. Um, but the, the flip side I'd say is, well, um, people are still scared of, of flying. You still get a lot more people scared of flying than the driving. And so, uh, you know, I, I guess if the argument is that all we need to do is convince people about to, to be, to be rational, then, then that might be a, um, a harder argument to make in terms of the, uh, in terms of the safety side. But certainly, you know, I'll, I'll, I certainly buy the argument that that it's um, the, most of these, most of the, especially the newer ones, are highly engineered, and 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 you know, there's lots of different redundant systems within them. Uh, the next one's sort of environmental, and and there's arguments about sort of land use um, for sources of energy, and sort of showing nuclear power uses far less per per unit of electricity than, than a lot of other the a lot of other factors, and and you know, that's that's true. Um, I, I guess I'd probably highlight for some of these is that uh in particular say solar or or um or, or something like that we can it can be installed on roofs and and other more unused areas or, or in deserts and and so um yeah the land use you know yeah, it's it's a it's it's a minor point um uh in in nuclear's favor uh having said that you know it is it's obviously a question about where you want to build them and and there's always the uh the problem of people um that perception issue, regardless of, of how how bad your um the actual sort of radio, you know so, so um uh the actual amount of energy from coming from nuclear, uh, there's not a lot of people clamoring to have nuclear sort of built in there uh, uh, locally to them. Uh, energy density per uh, in megajoules. So this is another X case. A lot of these have come from XKCD, which is a, a, a an energy sorry a um, engineer slash mathematics slash computing science um, uh, sort of uh, comic series of sort of a lot of jokes uh, of that nature. But, you know, I guess just highlighting that uranium, the fuel density in uranium is is just way above uh, any of these other ones. So you, you just don't need very, very much um, uranium at all in order to generate huge amounts of uh, electricity. Um, the, uh, the next part, and this is, uh, I think you're just popping up with a question uh, from Groucho Globe, you know, the question about nuclear, what, did you, what do you do with the waste? Um, and this is a, a chart, I'm using a chart that sort of he came up with here, and I, I'm talking about the, 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 the amount of waste for solar versus the amount of weight for, for nuclear. And um, the issue is, is obviously, the, you know, the nature of the waste in terms of how, uh, how, how radioactive it is and, 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 um, and, and what you do with it. Now, there's, there's the, the thing, one of the things with nuclear, there's not a lot of waste in terms of actual um, uh, physical amounts of waste. I think if you took the amount of uh, waste that's, that's been generated ever in, in terms of nuclear, 
you know, you're still talking, you're talking about, if you're talking about football fields, you know, maybe it's a, a meter or two high, a football, a football field size, a meter or two high, um, is the amount of actual waste. So there's not a lot. And, and there are some reasonable arguments about what you could do with it. Um, in terms of you could, you could reprocess it and, and have these things called breeder plants and, and other factors like that. So there's, there's definitely options in terms of what you can do with it. And, and I think as well, a lot of the, uh, the more advanced systems that use up, that sort of use up a lot more of the, uh, uh, the processes within it, there, there are some arguments that actually a lot of that stuff is pretty safe and, and maybe you need to store it for 50 or 60 years. But after that, then it gets to the stage of actually being, being pretty safe. And, and again, there's just not, not that much of it. So yeah, there are, there's, there's arguments around that. I mean, but, but I guess, um, yeah, I'd come back to that, 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 uh, the question about the, the motorcycles and, and cars versus planes. Again, it's, there's a perception, there's certainly a perception issue in terms of, um, in terms of the waste. Uh, that's coming out and the, and the issues with with that. Uh, the other case against environmental is um, and you know, this, is a, this this was used as a as a, as a pro chart. Now, this is a, a uh, the map of the Ukraine and Chernobyl and just sort of showing um, even now where the nuclear sorry where the radiation um, st stretches from that Chernobyl plant. Uh, now the point I guess he was making was that actually these red areas are, are actually uh, the red and the yellow areas. Are not actually that significant in terms of the amount of radiation. It's pretty much it's pretty close to sort of background levels or, or levels you might see in um, uh, in other places and, and levels that are way below that um, that that place in Iran we we, we spoke about that that had um, uh, you know I think it was sort of 260 on the on the measures and and the orange levels here are five to ten and the and the reds are, are ten. Um, having said that though. It's still we're a long time past it, and uh, you can still see the traces and you know where it carried and and you know from from the rivers and 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 other factors around there. So um, you know I, I guess the point uh, um, Thomas was using it as, as a positive point to say, well, actually, look, there's hardly any radiation left, even with this um, disaster, which was uh, very unlikely to happen. I guess in in current sort of scenarios, uh, and using current builds and all the different redundancy that's put in. And all the things that went into it. Having said that, though, um, you know the fact that you could have, you know, decades and decades later, still this this um, this effect uh, across a whole country is, uh, uh, I, I think, probably works more against on the environmental sense um, than than before. Than for uh, the sustainability ones, in terms of uh, if you talk about these breeder reactors, and basically a breeder reactor is is you take the spent fuel and you put it back. Um, into a, into another type of reactor that can um, that's sort of made to to handle some of those lower amounts and, and and you can redo them and redo them over and over again. And if you use those, um, this is just talking about uh, how much if, if it was if you're using nuclear for 100% of energy, um, you know how much would you would you have? And it's sort of making the point that um, you know we've got about five or six years if you had everything with non non breeders and, and mined uh, uranium, but but if you added um, as soon as you start adding breeders in, you actually start getting back to you know thousands of years in terms of the amount of um, uh, uh, the amount of, the number of years you could sort of carry you know human all human energy production for. So, so there is there is certainly enough um, uranium around. I, I, I sort of I'll I'll, I'll I'll admit that, um, particularly if you do do, do use some of the breeder reactors. Uh, having said that, you know there's there's a, there's a lot of um, a lot of different materials that you could certainly use for energy sources. Uh, for me, it always comes down to the cost of it. It's always a question about um, you know where you get to. 
on that. Uh, and yeah, this is just a, a I've got up just a quick chart showing um, how you you could yeah if you you, you can sort of reuse two thirds of it and put it back into um, uh, you can put it back through into into those breeder plants. Um, and again, though, this is a keeping in mind that breeder plants aren't aren't something that's out there in on on mass at the moment. It's not a uh, not a technology that you know. Again, it's. I think that's partly the problem. I think with a lot of the uranium arguments is is it's, it's a question about what could be, um, and and sort of you know I guess fifty or sixty years into a technology, um, that's probably where some of the skepticism certainly comes. Uh, and then the, the next part for in terms of reliability, he talks about um, you know is the fact that yeah uranium is pretty spread around the world. Um, Australia and Canada have got um, truckloads of it, and uh, you know it's most most countries around the world have got you know most regions around the world have have a reasonable source so you can actually um you know there, there is you're not as concerned about i guess um at all being sort of in in particular areas having said that that's that's um that is one of the cases at the moment is is so if, so if you look at production by country sort of 40 percent of it comes out of kazakhstan and um uh yeah which is uh, I'll go a little bit more into more detail where some where that's creating some of the issues, but that's part of the problem at the moment. Is is the Kazakhstan? A lot of that then ends up in in Russia uh, for where it's where it's processed, and uh, that's where a lot of the problem and where the US is starting to put down you know sanctions and and trying to move off. Um, yeah, there's, there's a surprising amount um, of of uh, uranium that sort of comes you know from Russia both to Europe and to the US. So um, yeah, so that's something which we which is part of the reason for this spike in in, in the price. Uh, next is the idea that you know if you look at these look at a chart of the different types of energy sources and, and for anyone sort of listening in on on the podcast it's sort of showing you know wind and and solar and and gas and everything sort of up and down as to as to how much it's providing and and nuclear is just this solid straight line all the way across because it is a it is very much a base load um, capacity and it's you know you, you, the the fuel sources that go into it you can stockpile for you know for quite a long period of time you don't have to worry and it's quite easy to transport as well it's, it's just not very big the amount that you need so you're not sort of worried about um, you know masses of, of um, uh, train lines needing to come in all the time you know it's it, there it, it is something which can be very stable uh, in terms of production in terms of electricity production uh, and the other thing is, uh, some of the newer technologies as well can rev up and down pretty quickly. Um, I think it's twenty uh, percent every five minutes or something like that. Uh, so, so you know, over over quite a short period of time. Certainly not as fast as as uh, gas peaking plants, and certainly not as fast as batteries. Um, but it's uh, you know some of the it's just showing some of the German nuclear pl pl plants. But but there is a a case for. Um, uh, for nuclear power being used a little bit more scalably as well, or, or sorry, it has the potential to be used a little bit more um, to scale up and scale down, um, and, pro and, and I'm, I think less, uh, sorry, more so than than say coal, in that perspective. Uh, the other thing to note in terms of uh, this is something that he, he goes a lot into is is his idea of stability and then and the cost um, is that uranium makes up about six percent of your overall uh, cost rate. Of your uh, of running a nuclear power plant now, I think if you use some high, higher discount rates, uh, it, it'll be a higher amount. 
But I guess the idea there is that you can you can double and triple prices, and you're really not making much of a difference to the overall cost of of the energy because uh, cost of uranium relative to the cost of the plant is so small, and that's um, you know positive and a negative as we're seeing at the moment in that you, you know, prices can go go ballistic um, over over short periods of time. Uh, the other argument uh, he he looks at a lot there is is the um, you've got your, your typical energy cost. And this is similar to the what will we put up in terms of um, the cost uh, levelized cost of energy, and seeing that uh, nuclear is is rising as a cost. Uh, if you're talking about um, US dollars per per megawatt hour, it's sort of nuclear was you know, a little bit above a hundred um, back in sort of 2010. And then from then it's actually been rising and it's, it's closer to 200 now, whereas most other technology, most other um, uh, uh, fossil fuel technologies have sort of gone sideways. And you've seen the the main ones of um, uh, wind and solar fall dramatically over that period, and solar in particular uh, over that time frame. Uh, the the point he makes though is that if you look at different countries and and, and I do want to highlight as well this this is a chart that does stop a lot earlier than than some of these other ones so that so there are some issues there but you can get some idea um, so if you look at South Korea as as an example uh, we've got a graph up to two thousand and seventeen ish seven two thousand eighteen um, that's showing that uh, nuclear nuclear was actually the, the lowest cost there. I think you'd find if you, if you rolled that out forward another five or six years that solar would back be be back under there, but certainly nuclear is is one of the lowest cost um, uh, is one of the lowest cost there, and you can dig through a lot of the sort of nuclear um, and look at say say India some of the India's new reactor plants are coming on and at cheaper rates than solar they're sort of talking between uh, uh, twenty to twenty and forty cents uh, per per kilowatt hour, uh, and so. Um, at, at that's at those levels, or, or sorry, if you're talking back in megawatt hours, you're, you're talking twenty to forty forty dollars per megawatt hour. Um, yeah, that 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 is certainly um, as good or, or better than, than what you'll get from solar over that time frame. Uh, and then you have this issue with solar that you need to um, you get what's called the duck curve, where uh, prices say in 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 California are going negative during the day now because there's so so much solar on, and, and so. Because everyone's producing at the same time, whereas nuclear gives you a much much smoother, and and that's absolutely a point. Um, I think it's probably a little bit of an unfair comparison, to be honest. I think uh, for me, you know, really what you should be looking at is cost of solar plus batteries, with a view to saying, okay, well, what's yeah, what's that what's that actually costing you over the over the time frame? Because you, yeah, solar is great um, as a standalone technology. And at the cheapest, but but realistically, if it needs to, if it's going to expand further, it needs to be with batteries or other some form of other storage. And so, um, yeah, we should really be looking at it at, at the at the two combined. Uh, and and that's what um, so I've got some charts up to sort of showing that you know you get you, you add solar plus storage and you add another forty percent to the uh, to the cost of solar. Um, still comes in below <laughs> below nuclear though. That's that's it. That's the issue. Um, and the other thing is, depending upon where you are, sorry, that, that, that's uh, in in sunny countries comes in below. In in uh, not so sunny countries, uh, it, it's it's probably comes in above um, at the moment still. But those costs are falling. Both the storage cost and the cost of solar just keeps falling. So they uh, fell consistently up to 2022. For 2023, there was a a reasonable jump in in the costs as um, supply chains and and issues like that. 
but already we're seeing as we're coming out the other side of that that it looks like the the prices are are, are ending up at a level you would have expected um, if you hadn't have seen that that sort of short short term blip in terms of the the price. So um, yeah, so certainly you need to do need to add storage. Uh, another sort of I guess he's talking about as a positive case is that you've got this cash flow profile where you lose a lot of money in nuclear at the start and then it really takes off. And if the nuclear plants last for longer than what's expected, um, then you uh, you actually make a lot more money on, on the back end. And um, and nuclear plants are tending to last longer. And, and, and you know, the expectation is some of these, some of the current generation, uh, while they've got lives of um, you know, 50 odd years, uh, they, they, it is quite possible they're gonna be lasting 80 to 100 years. And so, um, yeah, so yeah, so that's that's a reasonable argument. Having said that, though, it's a, it's a little bit like the um, well, g- given the uncertainty, I guess it's a question of saying if you ha- if you're uncertain about uh, energy prices, would you prefer to pay uh, heaps now and and get benefits in in you know between twenty and and sixty years, or would you prefer to pay a little bit now and 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 have a payback within two or three years, and 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 your and your long term might not be as, as positive. And generally speaking, I, I think people, well, generally speaking, I think governments and, and, and most people will take the first. Um, yeah, there, there is an argument, I guess, um, uh, in terms of stability and diversification in terms of energy plants, which I think, you know, you don't want everything all, all the same, which I think stacks up. But, um, you know, again, that, that, that economic argument doesn't really sit with me. The major one is, is coming back to these, the actual cost of nuclear power plants. Now, if you look at the cost of construction uh, across a number of different countries, uh, South Korea, India, China. Japan does sit there, but given it's not building anymore and looking at shutting down some existing ones probably doesn't doesn't sort of, uh, maybe it shouldn't be sitting quite uh, in that same spot. But, you know, Brazil, Turkey, all these places can produce um, at, at sort of a fifth of the cost uh, to what you see in the in the US or the UK. Uh, and and this, is, this is your big issue. And uh, he goes. Thomas goes through in quite a lot of detail, and 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 I think the arguments are are, are pretty reasonable. That um, that the economics, if you look at things like you know, as simple as a gate valve, for example, that you're paying, you know, uh, if you, whatever the price you're paying for 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 a nuclear grade version, it's it's ninety eight percent cheaper if you're buying like a, an industrial grade version. And a butterfly valve is is going to be seventy percent cheaper as a, as an industrial rather than rather than nuclear grade. And you go through all these other different types of things, and you get the same um, you get the same effects. You look at the the cost changes that you saw within uh, uh, energy, sorry, no, within nuclear construction over uh, between nineteen seventy six and and nineteen eighty eight. So basically, post the um, the Three Mile Island, and you look at all the costs and it comes back to, you know, uh, home office services and field job supervisions and, and, uh, construction and payroll and, and, um, uh, quality control and, and things like that. And the idea is that it's actually a lot of it's regulation. And you look at the number of rules that, that they need to, uh, and, and standards, the standards have sort of gone from, um, yeah, 400 to, to 2000 in terms of the standards and, and, you know, all these guidelines of, 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 um, you know, there's 20 or 30 times more guidelines that that that, that you need to um, adhere to than what what that used to be, and that comes back to what's uh, the construction cost between uh, yeah, between the 
developing countries and the and the developed countries as well is is it really what you're seeing largely is a regulatory issue is that the number of the amount that have actually uh, the amount of regulation for building a nuclear power plant say in the US is just dramatically different to the uh, amount of regulation needed to build one in in China for example and so and and also I guess the um, uh, you know the getting permission from from people who live nearby as well um, you know, it's obviously harder in in democracies and and easier in in uh, autocracies and and dictatorships. So uh, yeah, the, the, and I think there's a there's a reasonable argument with that. But the question then comes back to this motorcycle thing again: is that um, do you want to be the politician? You know, regardless of whether economically it stacks up and safety wise it stacks up and all these things like that. But do you want to be the politician that goes out there with the the uh, the platform that yeah, I'm going to run on on deregulating the the nuclear industry and getting rid of all the standards and and letting these guys produce for much much cheaper and 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 by the way most of the most most of the nuclear power plants are going to take five years or ten years to build anyway and so uh you'll cut the standards uh it'll make it much cheaper but you're not, you, you know even if you're a u.s president with an eight-year um uh you know getting two two back-to-back terms you're unlikely to see any effect by the by the end of your second term, really, of, of, of the changes which you make. And so, you know, this idea that um, uh, stand, it, it, that it's red tape and that it's uh, the the extra demands that are being put on on nuclear construction in developed countries, which is causing the problem, I I buy that. I just don't. I, I can't buy the case that um, that's something which is going to reverse. Uh, and then, then you get to the small modular reactors. Now, now the idea behind the small modular reactors is I haven't got enough time to go through that in, in too much detail here, but let me do the, the, the broad level, is that a lot of the problem you get with nuclear plants, and particularly in developed countries where you've got all this regulation, is that everything needs to be custom-made. And so because you need to custom-make everything, um, that just adds to, adds to the cost dramatically. Whereas if you can make parts... Um, uh, so you see, effectively making a a, a factory built nuclear plant, um, and the, you you bring it to wherever it needs to go, and you screw all the bits together, and 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 you know lay the cement, and, and off you go, and then the whole thing's done. Um, that that could dramatically uh, lower the costs, and that does make sense um, from from one perspective. Uh, I'll, I'll go to beautiful one. So from one perspective, yeah, it makes sense. Um, from the other one, though, there, there's an issue about. Um, the size of these, uh, and when when I say there's an issue with the size of it, is that there's a uh, there's there's a few different things going on here. One is that the bigger the plant, the more efficient, and that traditionally across, across almost every um, energy source that we have, uh, and excluding to a certain extent solar, which is sort of and batteries, which sort of are actually a lot more scalable than than, than most other uh, factors. If you get a big, um, say, diesel uh, electricity plant, that is far more efficient than, than a diesel engine in a car or, or a truck. It's just it's just way more efficient because just the bigger engines and 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 more um, uh, the, the the bigger the scale actually actually contributes greatly to the to to lowering the costs. And that's true of nuclear as well. So there is this line about okay, I can't make it so small that um, uh, if I make it small beyond a certain extent then you start to lose those benefits and and, and you start to you know that the, so there's there's trying to find the, the the right level of it 
And so I think some of the um, people who complain about small modular reactors, you know, complain that they're, they're neither small nor, mod nor modular. But um, there's, there's if I, I get the idea that if you could do this and, and if it could work, then then there's a, there's actually is a, a, a much better path for uh, for nuclear if, if that's that's the case. Now, can they get it to work? That's the um, yeah that that is the the key part. So I'm not sure. Um, the biggest one is. Well, one, sorry, one of the key ones was uh, someone called NewScale. Now, NewScale started by telling everyone it was $55 a, meg, um, a megawatt hour, which is, which you know, attractive, um, not as good as solar, uh, but but better than solar plus battery. So, you know, that's the that's that's where we're looking. Uh, by 2021, that has sort of only increased a little bit. So, uh, you know, that was pretty good. Um, but having said that, this is all talking about what they were going to do. Uh, then they released in 2023, they came out and said, actually, it's going to cost $89. But actually, if you read the fine print, it wasn't even $89. There was a $30 a megawatt um, inflation reduction subsidy within that. So they basically doubled the um, doubled the cost. And then uh, recently, they they basically uh, shot the thing down, saying they're not going to, not going to go ahead. So um, you still need somebody. And, and, and uh, you know, keep in mind that, you know, solar is, you know, well under the $55 you know, initial range that they had. And, and solar plus batteries is probably somewhere in that 50 to 100, depending upon where you are. So, um, yeah, so, so there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, you still need to show you can actually do one of these. Uh, and and uh, the other part is that, you know, I spoke about there being this, the, the issue about um, because it's small and modular, you can then start to, to get the, the, really generate the, the benefits and the economies of scale as you start producing more and more of these you can really drive down the costs and that's true um the issue is you, because you still need to make the the plants relatively large it, it sort of um it, it, that that means there's only a certain number you can put of these so so you, i guess what the, the the thing is you're talking about making hundreds of these um as opposed to tens of thousands or millions or, or billions of them as as say in solar panels for example or solar panels or batteries you're looking at making literally billions of of solar panels over over time, and so you can really drive the cost down as you as you start to get bigger and bigger runs. Whereas uh, if you're only ever talking about making, you know, probably in the tens per year, um, yes, it will certainly help and will certainly manage to drive costs down. But uh, you know, there, there's it's not the same hurdles as being able to make a something you know very small and just repeat the process and, and just gradually make improvements every single time you do it. Um, so um, the other small modular reactor one out there that's that's worth watching uh, Rolls Royce. So just to give you an idea of what they're talking about, um, they've got uh, they're looking for someone to cough up at the moment. Uh, they're talking about two point three billion roughly in in US dollars. Um, they think the cost is going to be somewhere between fifty and seventy five dollars a megawatt hour, which is yeah, relatively attractive. Um, so not not dissimilar to say solar plus batteries, but um, uh, you know given it's a uh, uh, the first one, uh, theoretically, that's you know I'd, I'd say it's reasonable, um, and then the uh, and they're looking at sort of running that for about um, about sixty on years. So that's one part. The other part on the small modular reactors, that's sort of one your, your alternative that sort of that is that's out, out there in the electricity market. The other thing to to keep an eye on in terms of that is is thinking about how about um, uh, the ship based ones because it effectively they are. Um, they're, they're the same type, same type of thing, I guess. In in my view, is that 
you've got a uh, you effectively have a small modular reactor in that the, you're sitting on a ship. There's sort of two or three hundred odd ships out there that that have them, uh, and, and you can look at those. They're producing at least enough that you can you at least get an idea about economies of scale and, and how it might work. Uh, the issue with these is that okay, so 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 there's a few things to it. One is okay, now I've got a nuclear um, plant that's that's driving around, and so there are obviously much bigger safety concerns, and you, you need to put a lot more engineering into it to say okay, well, you know, one thing to have a a, a nuclear plant that's stationed in one particular place, and um, you know, have to have to be aware of all the safety concerns, but but you know, there's only a certain number of safety concerns there. Uh, whereas now if I've got, if I've got one that's sailing around on the ocean, there's obviously much bigger danger of it crashing into something or sinking and, and other things that might go on. So, so you, your engineering standards, I will admit, will need to be higher on, on these ones and potentially the, um, but, but, but it is that the same idea. I think that, you know, if we're talking about a scalable nuclear power, I think this is a, a, a good example. So it's, it is about sort of, it's, uh, it's almost 15 years old now, this analysis, but I think it still fits, um, uh, relatively well because nuclear really hasn't changed, I guess, in terms of the uh, the cost structure we've seen over that over this time frame. But the the U.S. military looked at um, uh, you know on a look at discount rates and and looking at life cycle costs about saying, okay, if I've got a, just a destroyer, um, what should I do with it? Should I have it conventionally powered or should it have or should I have it um, nuclear powered? And effectively, what they came up with was that you needed oil prices. Somewhere around about two hundred and fifty dollars to make it uh, break even uh, for nuclear. So, yeah, with oil price at two fifty above two fifty, now it's worth um, uh, getting just putting your destroyers onto nuclear power from a from a cost perspective. Uh, and then the the smaller the ship, um, the longer that sort of flew out, and and, and the bigger the 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 ship, um, the uh, the lower it was. Uh, I guess the issue then, though, um, with that analysis, and to keep in mind, is that. Um, say a diesel-fired um, uh, fuel plant is considerably more expensive than a uh, than a coal or, or any other. Tool. It's sort of you know fifty to one hundred percent more expensive generally than than these other um, factors. So, so yeah, so we're we're using a a tool which sort of says uh, you know certainly in the ship space, um, small modular reactors haven't been successful. And would need some pretty extreme economics to uh, to start making them um, successful at at, uh, at some point. Uh, the um, some of the other sort of economic arguments that sort of sit sort of certainly ring true with me. One is this idea about scalability. So, you know, if, if we if we the old way of doing energy is is the right way, uh, then nuclear does look better. Um, not better than not I'm not saying it looks better than than some of these other factors, but but um, if we're moving to a renewable and and particularly batteries and solar, is that if it's going to be a distribution system that can be quite local and, and lots of solar sitting on 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 roofs and lots of local batteries and you're sort of filling them up from from maybe from some distant sources, but most but a lot of your energy is all being generated quite close. Then nuclear actually looks a lot, a lot worse. Um, but if, if our existing system of having like a few different places of centralized production, then nuclear does end up looking better. Uh, it's um, uh, yeah, I spoke a little bit about batteries and solar, but but they they do really have this unique case of you can 
you can just add more of them and the scalability is, 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 is very incremental. Like I, you can add, you know, I need some more solar power on my roof. I can add a few more solar panels and, and, you know, in, in a, in a broad sense, it's not that, you know, the actual costs, um, the cost of the solar panels anyway that I'm putting on, um, you know, don't make that much difference. And I can sort of scale up as, as I need more and more power. Whereas uh, power plants, you need to overbuild. So I need to look at a city and I go, okay, I'm expecting more people to be here. I'm expecting some coal-fired plants to set, shut down or whatever it is. So I need to build a, a plant that, that has more capacity than what I actually need because I need to account for the fact that more people will move here and eventually I'll need to scale that up. Whereas batteries and solar, you just add it as it goes along. So that sort of makes a, a little bit of dis- difference. And the other thing is, is obviously the distribution side is that um, yeah, we spend pretty close to half our our electricity bills in Australia on on um, the transmission distribution and um, fees. And so uh, the more local it is, the more you can save on on those costs. Uh, the only other one you have, uh, the, I guess your other argument um, is, is thorium. So can you make thorium plants, uh, you, you know, thorium fission plants, uh, instead of uranium. So it's, it's way less dangerous. There's far less radiation. The electricity output is actually better per, per unit. Um, it doesn't produce plutonium, which can sort of has its its problems with, with weapons afterwards. Um, the big problems though is, is one, it, it's not widely used. And so because it's not widely used and um, you're really just not getting the learnings and, and uh, it is something quite different. And so there's a concern about the unknown. I think if you were starting with zero uh, you know, if you're starting today and, and, you, and you never generated a, a uranium or a thorium industry and, and you're looking to choose one of them, you, you probably would choose thorium. Um, but I guess the other thing I'd add in it is that if, you know, we already ran through some of the safety stuff and I, and I, and I, do, I do buy the arguments that it's, uh, the safety is better generally within nuclear, and especially the newest ones, is that the safety is, is actually not as much of a concern as, as what you might think. Um, the having said that though, so because in nuclear, it's already pretty, pretty good and, um, and we're not using it, you know, or as far as something as widely used, um, it's not about the safety. Like the safety isn't the, isn't, isn't the thing that's scaring people away. It's the idea, it's, it's the potential for things to go, to go wrong. And so I guess what I'm saying is if you've, you're having a, a, another version, which might be better on these safety issues to me, doesn't sort of move the needle in, 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 in a sufficient way that sort of means that um, it's going to uh, go forward. So next, we're actually going to dig into uranium, though, and, and look at uh, your costs and, and how, this, how, the, how the uranium um, sector is really structured. We'll be back with the Investment Insights very shortly. Nucleus Wealth is an active and passive investment manager. If you like what you're hearing and want some help with investing, we can do it for you via our active portfolios. Our tactical and core portfolios use the insights shared in this podcast to construct and manage your investment. We blend tactical portfolios to offer our combinations of international shares, Australian shares, government bonds, and cash. We vary the asset allocation with the goal of protecting your capital in times of market uncertainty. We also have active international and Australian share portfolios. These are chosen using our quality and value investment philosophy. You can find out more at nucleuswealth.com. Now back to the show. Right. So the, the demand supply. So so let's talk about, I, I, let me, I, I'll sort of set the scene first for, talk, for, for talking about um, 
the big picture demand supply within the industry as well. Before I, before I start digging into some of the specifics about about the um, uh, the cost structure in in terms of producing uranium. So you've got this market where you've got um, uh, I'm showing a chart uh, which is the upper scenarios of supply for uh, from the World Nuclear Association for for uranium, and showing that it's sort of growing from. Uh, I think it's 64,000 or something like that, or roughly at the moment, and, and increasing over time so that you get to sort of 175. So basically um, uh, tripling out to 2040 in terms of the amount that's needed for, um, for, for reactor requirements. And there's this big gap where we can see that actually the next few years, so the next sort of five or six years, there, there's actually not that much of a gap. The, um, uh, the, the mines that are coming on and the planned... Um, uh, either restarted idled mines or the planned uh, expansions pretty much keep you going close to close to uh, tw- tw- to out to twenty 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 nine, and then after that, there's there's this bit of a gap in this demand and supply. Okay, so that's that's the sort of world that we're living in. Uh, so then you, then we go um, thinking about you know what else is going on with supply, and if you look at the other factors of supply at the moment. Um, just in, in a broad sense, uranium, it's, it's more abundant than gold or, or silver or mercury. So it is actually a relatively common, um, mineral. It's probably about the same as, uh, something like tin and yes, only slightly less than, than, than things like cobalt or lead. Um, it's really interesting in terms of the way it's mined. It's, it's comes from a whole bunch of different sources. So you get these open pits where basically you, you just, you, you scrape off the top of the soil, you get down to the ore, um, so you get. There'll be varying amounts of soil that, soil that you've got to scrape off. And then you get this ore and you, you dig up the ore and you crush it. And then you, you leach it, which is basically sticking acid on it. And, um, and you end up, and then you extract out the, the uranium. Now, the, the amount of uranium that's in a lot of these um, pits ranges from like 0.05% to about 0.1%. So it's just, no, it's just nothing compared to the amount. So you, you pull out a ton of dirt. And there's this tiny little bit of uranium um, sort of within that that you sort of got to crush up and, and pull out. Um, so that, that's most of them, most of the open pit ones. Uh, in some of the underground ones in Canada, you can get 15 or 20% um, uh, uranium. It's like, it's a crazy difference in terms of the amount of, of extra uranium that is in some of these underground mines in, in uranium. And so, that, so uh, you know, the world's biggest uh, Cigar Lake has, has sort of runs at um, yeah somewhere between fifteen and twenty percent depending upon what parts of the mines, uh, and then you get these um, other ones which are it's an underground mine uh, Olympic Dam for example in, in Australia, uh, it sort of runs at about point oh two three of a percent so so half again what is some of those open pits are, but the the thing is it's not pulling out um, uranium because it's it, because it, it's doing it just for the uranium. It's actually doing it mainly for the copper and and uh, you're also getting some gold and silver and other things that are coming out with it. So it's a byproduct. It's basically, going, look, we're already digging up this dirt. I mean, it's already got the copper that we want and the gold that we want and the silver that we want in it. And now it's just a matter of also doing an extraction and pulling out um, this uranium, which is, uh, you know, they're pulling out so much of it that, that they're actually a major producer. And that's a little bit the case as well for a lot of other mines. There, there's a lot of mines around that do have uranium as, as a byproduct. And a lot of them that even have uranium as byproduct, but don't even bother processing it because, um, you know, the, the extra cost and, you know, regulatory issues and, and whatever else comes with it 
and the and the and the levels of uranium just don't make it worthwhile. But theoretically, at at, at higher prices, they could certainly do it. Um, your next phase is this thing called in situ leaching, which is basically you're pouring acid down a hole and then pulling it back up again and 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 um, dry, you know, drying it out and, and, and using it. And most of that um, happens within the US and, and Kazakhstan. Most of the mines uh, within those uh, are, are what you call in situ leaching. Um, and so and and so that's again a you know a, a, a different process again, but um, you sort of you can go down to even even smaller amounts, I think with some of those in terms of the amount there. And it's you know in some ways, you know it obviously sounds pretty dangerous, you know, it's uranium and, and acid, um, you know, what could go wrong? But but in in other ways it is actually um, you know and you, it can leak into the groundwater and you know there's issue, there's a whole bunch of issues about what what's doing and where it's going and and um, all that type of stuff. But on the other side as well, you're not actually digging up you know vast amounts of, of the earth and pulling them up and, and crushing them and, and sort of going through this process. So you know there's there's pros and cons I think on, on that front. But but the I, I guess the the overall message is, is there's different cost structures um, within this and you know you can mine or you know effectively mine. Uh, you're writing from seawater if you wanted to as well, and you're probably talking somewhere higher than two hundred dollars a pound. There's no real commercial processes out there doing this. It's been shown to be done um, in labs and things like that, but but you know the expectation is maybe you get it down to sort of two or three hundred dollars a pound, and and uh, the the current price for for um, uranium is a hundred dollars a pound, and uh, most of the mines will do more like thirty or forty dollars. Uh, most of the big ones, and so um, yeah, so so there's this issue about well, could you actually, you know, there is enough, there's certainly enough uranium out there if you wanted to. Uh, the other thing, to just keep in mind as well, if you if, if you are looking through these, you, you can sometimes get mixed up between uh, U3O3, which is what is usually um, dug up, and then the uranium itself. And so U3O3 is about 85 percent uranium by weight. So so depending upon how you're looking at it, different measures, you just got to make sure that you're you're looking at the right thing uh in terms of supply uh, you get about 15 20 percent of the world supply every year comes from decommissioned nuclear weapons um uh and there's also this idea we spoke a little bit about breeder plants so there is a, a fair bit of uranium sitting around that that's been used once um is probably not appropriate in a lot of um uh especially the older uh, uh reactors but could actually be used in, in breeder plants or, or or things like that uh, and then the other part you've got is you've got a lot of mines under, under construction at the moment. So that's sort of all, all coming to a, um, uh, yeah, sort of all, all coming through at the same time. If you look at the production, uh, you know, 14% of the world sort of comes from this one mine in, in Cigar Lake in, that I spoke about in, in Canada. Uh, and then you start getting to a whole bunch of different countries doing it. Uh, Namibia, Kazakhstan, Australia have all got quite large operations. So if you look at a cost curve uh, um, for the sector, now this has only got about 70-odd percent of the, the world production, but, yeah, it's pretty, uh, it's a, especially a lot of the Uzbekistan ones it doesn't have in there. But it's, it's, it's a pretty good guide. It's just sort of showing that, um, you know, the Kazakhstan mines and and so this, this actually I'll explain this chart first. So this, um, on the x-axis, I have all the mines that sort of make up uh, the, most of the production. Um, so this gets us to 47 out of 64, I think, um, uh, thousand tons. And then on the other axis, I've got the, it has the cost of production, uh, and, and the lowest cost ones on the left and the highest cost on, on the right. 
and it's broken them out into whether it's a mining cost, uh, so so the cost of actually digging it up, the milling cost, so the cost of all the crushing and 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 uh, putting the acid through and everything like that. Um, oh, sorry, that that's your and then your. Um, oh, sorry, that's your um, TCRC and shipment, and then your royalties on top. So royalties are are based on the price, and so royalties can shrink. So so it's sort of I, I like to often think about this graph in terms of production as terms of looking at this and saying, where does it sit before you get to that purple one? So Kazakhstan, you know, costs well below $5 uh, a pound. So they can produce, you know, produce sort of whatever it is, 25, 30% of it. Canada's got costs probably closer to 15. Um, and, you know, in that, in that 10 to $15 a pound range and uh, a number of mines there that are very, very high grade, uh, but underground, underground, so harder to get to. Australia then sits, sort of sits next on this. It's sort of more like the fifteen to twenty dollars, and then you sort of get Russia, Namibia, and uh, Niger, all sort of um, closing up in, into about that thirty dollar range. Uh, it's a little bit when you look at individual companies, it's it's a bit more nuanced than that. Um, uh, but there are sort of a lot of the companies, a lot of the big ones are all producing, you know, below uh, fifteen dollars a, uh, a pound. And then there's a yeah a number of other ones that sort of sit close back up towards those thirty dollars. So that's your that's your structure of the industry. If you look at sort of some of the recent feasibility studies, and this is where the issue when you start looking at commodities and saying where can it go over the longer term, this is where, where I sort of dig in and start saying, well, it really matters what other mines uh, are out there, how long they get up, how, they take to get up and running, and 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 um and and what size would they be? So I've just taken like five of the recent relatively big ones so so deep yellow's got one in Namibia which would add about two percent towards supply um they'd have to spend 360 million and that and their costs all in costs would be 38 dollars and and their ongoing costs would be below 30. so um uh fish in Canada they're all up on there but you know fish in Canada is, is probably one of the bigger ones it, it could add about six percent to world supply if you just look at the amount of uh, compared to world mining, it's probably closer to eight or eight or nine percent of the amount that's actually mined, uh, and a capex is going to be less than a billion, and you, you're you're all in costs are somewhere around twenty five to thirty, and actually I think your your ongoing costs are probably closer to fifteen dollars. So, you know, I, I guess where I'm coming to from here is, you can see from this that pretty quickly, um, you know, for less than a billion dollars, you can add six or seven percent of the world's demand you know if you want to add 20 or 30 percent to to um to supply it's costing you a few billion dollars like it's not it's it's simply just not that much in terms of um getting new mines up and running and um uh so so you know i guess determined governments could very easily um fund this stuff and and have lots more supply come on without without too much worry uh if you look at the longer term factors now now uranium Obviously, it really goes back to um, yeah the Second World War in terms of the use, but you had um, uh, so the amount used, so the amount produced grew rapidly until the nineteen eighty, and that it fell probably hard from there back into the nineties, uh, and then it's been gradually rising, and we're we're back not quite to the peak. Um, so the chart I've got up there showing is is, is actually before the um, uh, sorry, it doesn't it finishes in in 2010? Just because this is the only longer term one that I had, but uh, yeah, and, and so the 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 requirements. Um, so 
there was much more production of uranium uh, earlier um, for the nuclear, for nuclear weapons. So we know we can it can be scaled up, and it, and it's not that difficult. The price didn't actually move that much as well. The prices for much of that time frame. So so back in the eight, early eighties, uh, you know the prices were. Um, yeah, they got up to thirty dollars a pound, and then sort of fell pretty much from there out to two thousands, and down to the sort of ten to fifteen dollars a pound. And then um, again, this is another chart which is a little bit out of date. There was a massive spike into two thousand and seven, and then from there it sort of slid back again, and and finally we're back at back at a hundred now. Uh, so you know the if you I've got a chart just up showing that you know, the last twenty, uh, sorry, the last thirty years of, of uranium prices, and. That again sort of shows you were in that sort of ten dollar range from most of the nineties. Uh, you hit, I think, one hundred and forty dollars a pound in in um, two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight. There was a bit of a uh, well, there was flooding at at this cigar mine. Um, there was a lot of stuff came out at the time as well about uh, India and China about their nuclear plans. Uh, there was China was obviously expanding and 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 uh, so China and India in terms of nuclear plans, both in terms of the um, uh, uh, energy and also weapons. Um, and you know, in the, in the early two thousands, we, um, we had a big fall in the amount of weapons grade uranium that was coming through. So, so prior to that, uh, there was, there was much more coming from, from old nuclear weapons. And, um, uh, yeah, you really had this because of climate change, you really had this renaissance in terms of discussions of nuclear power. And then in 2000, and, um, so there's that sort of all this, saw this massive spike in the price before it fell back down to sort of the $50 level. And then um, you saw another bit of a, uh, a fall, you know, post Fukushima when um, uh, that was 2011, where you know, accident, nuclear accident in, in Japan sort of then um, uh, dissuaded the, the enthusiasm that, that, that so many people had for nuclear. So, you know, I, I guess from that perspective, where do I see? Um, but what, what, what do I learn from, from, from that is really that, uh, we can produce as much uranium as we want at, at a hundred dollars. There's, there's plenty out there. There's, um, yeah, there's, there might be some regulatory issues and, and other factors, but really in terms of a, a, um, a long-term look at the price, uh, you know, you have to be sort of under $30 for, for, for my view, um, yeah, maybe you get to forty if, if you're doing some really big expansions, but uh, the longer term price is is uh, doesn't seem to be a lot of support for for, for really for, for for much higher. Short term, there's definitely some other issues. So short term, I'm going to move into uh, and talk about short term in uh, next. We'll be back again shortly. If you like what you're hearing but want a low cost passive option, Nucleus Wealth is the first to offer passive direct indexing in Australia. The first generation of passive investing was index funds. The next gen was ETFs. Now direct indexing is here with significantly more customization and control. The benefit of direct indexing is you can add or subtract investment themes, and we have almost a hundred different options to choose from. For example, you could buy an international share direct index portfolio that excludes fossil fuels and arms manufacturers and has a tilt towards cybersecurity and cloud computing. Alternatively, you could buy a portfolio with no screens and an extra exposure to nuclear power and defense contractors. You can find out more at NucleusWealth.com. Now back to the show. Right. The other, the other thing I, I thought I should highlight as well is that uh, the US 
is not a big producer at all. It's a tiny producer in terms of, uh, but it, but it's a huge consumer, and um, uh, that's that all wasn't always the case. So it was actually it produced pretty close to hundred percent of what it needed, um, or and more than that in uh, in the sixties and seventies, uh, and then it all faded away as, as it was uh, the you know I guess it was a a um, a realization that it was cheaper to get uh, uranium elsewhere, and uh, at some point you know, it became acceptable for for the U.S. to buy its uranium and enriched uranium from um, uh, from Russia in particular. So, uh, and that's what's changed at the moment. So, so we've seen this massive spike in the price. So we've got this U.S. ban in terms of uh, Russian uranium. So Rosatom, which is uh, the Russian one of the Russian energy companies, that does a lot of enrichment rather than the actual mining. Uh, so it does it supplies about thirty percent of the uh, EU's uranium and, and about a quarter of the US's. Um, and so, so there's, there's big issues that, so we saw all those bans on, on, um, and, uh, on Russian oil and Russian gas and, and all these things like that. Uranium sort of slipped under the radar a little bit there and, uh, and sort of risen up a little bit more recently and, and speculation about, look, maybe, uh, maybe that, uh, Russia could decide just to cut the U.S. off is saying, well, if we're going to lose it anyway, maybe we're better off cutting it and and causing issues for for U.S. and and European um, uh, energy. So, it, I guess to that, I say, well, yeah, look, maybe that, that certainly would make an issue. Uh, having said that, most um, uranium, oh, most uh, uranium reactors, nuclear reactors, tend to have a couple of years supply. Uh, it's um, Say if you look at Japan as an example, uh, yeah, the, the, their their policy was to have four years of supply, uh, yeah, already there, in terms of it. So, so you have to be a, I guess, something where they'd be cutting off uranium with the expectation that uh, there'd be multiple, you know, it, it would cause enough of a problem um, in three or four years' time, and uh, and also that they don't want the money, I guess, as well. There's obviously, you know, if you're fighting a war in in um, uh, in the Ukraine, then and you can get you can make a few billion dollars from uh, uranium sales, then then I'm guessing you'd prefer to have it rather than not. But um, yeah, there's certainly there's certainly issues behind that though that, that thought process. Um, so you get sort of fifty percent ish of uranium co- does come though via Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, or or Russia. Uh, and sorry, the other factor I want to that flows into both those is that some of the bigger plants that are opening, you do have um, a lot of nuclear plants popping up in, in China in particular. And China's certainly more than happy to 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 import uranium from from those areas. And so it might be um that, you know, let's say the cancelled now is that a lot of the um you know supplies might be tight. They might need to run down their inventories a little bit, but uh you know, by the time the new stuff is sort of all coming on, um you you find that the Russian stuff just all ends up in China and India anyway and, and so so the other thing that's been happening um, in terms of demand and supply is that, is that US has been establishing a st- strategic reserve. They've started to put uh, started to build up their own um, reserve within that. Uh, there is question marks over nuclear weapons. So there's obviously a um, uh, some of the non-proliferation. We went through that sort of period of a few decades where it was all about um, bringing down their stockpiles. Uh, whereas there, there are some uh, certainly a lot more tensions around now, and the questions about whether you might get a little bit more demand from nuclear um, the nuclear sector, and, and I guess partly as well, maybe there's a um, 
uh, there might be a, uh, you know, some of the, some of the nuclear weapons are getting pretty old. Some of the ones that that there maybe there's there's an argument for for replacement. But having said that, I think in terms of that replacement, you probably end up with the old uranium going to power um, uh, reactors. Uh, and then we had a coup in Niger, which sort of was about six percent of the world's production. That was sort of last year that 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 made a, uh, an issue. And we we have been through this big destocking phase for probably the last decade within it. Where when I say destocking, it's been that um, take Japan, uh, you know, it, it, four years worth of um, four years worth of reserves, and then it shut down uh, a lot of its nuclear reactors. It obviously doesn't need anywhere near that anymore, and so it was sort of building building down. Its its inventories, uh, and 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 that seemed to be happening in a, in a number of countries around the world, and so that's probably over now though, um, probably reaching the end. So that's that's sort of been another thing for helping you out. Uh, you know, there there is this question about shadow supply that's out there. So and, and the inventories. So there's probably about a billion pounds um, down from sort of two billion, which is about six years worth of supply. So there's there's a lot out there. Um, it is murky though, so so about forty percent of that's in China, um, and uh, they've got some pretty big plans for building plants, and so they're probably going to need some more. Uh, there is a lot of new nuclear plants, um, uh, particularly in developing countries, that that are planned and, and discussed about coming on. And new nuclear, when you first start it, you need about two or three times in the first year amount of uh, uranium to to get the whole thing going, and then um, you probably need some reserves as well in terms of you need to be able to um, so yeah so you need two or three times your annual amount just to get it started, and then you probably need one of another two or three times worth of your annual amount that you you want to uh, buy and sit sit in your stockpile. So um, so there is a lot of demand that that comes from when you get these when you get new um, nuclear because there has been so much uranium around uh, a lot of the utilities haven't sort of contracted as much supply as what they as what they need and so uh, all this is sort of combined together to give us this sort of shock into the into the uranium price and we sp- and I spoke before about uranium being such a small part of the overall that the cost of getting a, a nuclear plant up and running means that if the uranium price doubles like it has or triples like it has um, that's not going to affect your well firstly, you're contracted over the longer term, so so you probably didn't see a doubling or tripling for most of them. That's more at, at the edge, uh, but it's not enough for you to suddenly say, "Oh, yeah, I'm going to shut down my my whole supply." So if your costs were, you know, seventy dollars a megawatt, and now they've uh, and six percent of that cost was um, was your was your energy, so whatever that is, you know, four or five dollars of of your seventy odd dollars is 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 a cost. Yeah, you know, that could double and triple, and yeah, okay, it's maybe a little bit more expensive, but maybe ten percent more expensive. But it, but but it really hasn't affected uh, your overall economics uh, by by that far. Uh, the other thing to note is that, uh, and this is the more important factor that the traders and the hedge funds have really grabbed this at the moment, and that's where I think most of this share price rise has come from. Most of the energy price we've seen, so. The annual consumption, like it's, it's just a, it's a really, really small market, and I can't can't stress this enough. It's probably ten or twenty billion dollars per year is is the amount that gets spent on uranium. It's about one or two days worth of oil. The same amount we spend on oil in one or two days is the annual consumption for um uh for for iron ore. Now there's two big um, physical funds. One's Sprott, and the other one's Yellowcake. Uh, they own, you know, close to um, 
what we need for global demand. <laughs> they they own eighty five billion pounds. Like it's crazy like, how much they have. Um, they can you know how how much has been built up in an investment fund that's got no plans to uh, no plans to sell it. Is they're literally buying it because they think um, it's going it's going to go up. And in a way, it's a scarcity argument. There's forty or fifty hedge funds out there as well that have licenses to buy it. So uh, given the size of the market and the the capacity for traders to to actually grab a a um, a significant amount of the the uranium that should be up there to running these plants and just store it, um, that's an issue. And so that's where this short term issue comes from is saying, well, do I think a hundred dollar um, uranium is is uh, sustainable in the long term absolutely not do i think it could go to 200 dollars if traders all get in there and it all gets leveraged and and um uh and all that yeah sure it's a there's you know is, is there a short-term issue there is absolutely a short-term issue um and the question is um yeah it's hard this is this is a hard one to to um to try and pick how high will it rise before it sort of falls back to to more sustainable levels but for my thoughts, you know, sustainable levels are, are, are below fifty bucks or, or fifty dollars thereabouts. Uh, uh, yeah, could it go to two or three hundred dollars? Sure. Um, yes. The other thing. So we'll go to the question of the week and then sort of do a little bit more of an investment wrap up. Uh, so question of the week this week uh, is for you know it's for people to have a discussion in the comments and, and thoughts around. Yeah. Are we headed for a uranium super cycle? Uh, is this price rise going to going to lead to to much more production, or is it all, um, uh, yeah, or is it just one massive sort of uh, trade on on behalf of hedge funds that sort of can drive this higher and, and but isn't going to have longer lasting effects? Yeah. So onto the investment outlook. So, in terms of the investment outlook, you've got. Couple of different ways you can play this. So, so within our portfolios, uh, we have a we we have what we call tilt, where nuclear power tilt. So you can get access to all um, uh, I think it's a do half dozen of the largest uh, producers and, and nuclear power plants and uranium producers and, and nuclear power plants. Uh, on the flip side, you can screen these out. So we have nuclear weapon and energy, uh, nuclear energy and nuclear weapons, so sort of separate screens. You can you can um, you can sit out. For me, I don't want to stand in the way of this one. It's such a tiny market. Um, the hedge funds are involved. Uh, it's become a, 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 a you know it's a, a, a meme and a, a and a and a thought that's out there that's that's running around the market. Uh, there's lots of positive news for it. Uh, you know what could what could send it the other way quickly? Well, you could get speculated tax. Don't know whether you will anytime soon, but you know that's that's certainly um, if if you saw uh, say say people concerned about supply and they said okay, well we're not going to let you sit on you know massive massive piles of you know whatever it is six or 12 months worth of annual the annual needs we're not going to let you just buy that and, and stick it in a in a vault somewhere and and with no plan to do it if we put a speculator tax on on that you know you could see you know potentially a year's worth of supply and who knows how much hedge funds have two years worth of supply dumped onto the market quickly um you can certainly mine um uranium at 35 bucks um without a problem so you know a fifty dollar price being able to set up new mines at 35 certainly makes uh, a lot of sense so uh yeah for me it's it's a um uh i'm not, not going to try and stand in the way in the front of this train 
But uh, certainly over the longer term, uh, I can't see why uh, uranium prices would stay as high as they as high as they are at the moment. With that, uh, I just want to highlight that um, uh, you can get more content from us via uh, nucleuswealth.com/content. If you've got a guest or a topic suggestion for the show, uh, leave some comments on YouTube. Uh, we're on most of the different social medias. If you want to get this via podcast, you can get it on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much any of the major and, and a lot of the minor podcast platforms as well. Uh, and we're live 12.30 every week. If you've got any questions you want to ask, just drop them in the, uh, drop them in the chat. Thanks, and we'll speak to everyone next week.